Being open this evening, it'll be helpful for you as we make our way through another one of the Psalms uh, tonight. And our theme this evening is insistent prayer. Insistent prayer. What did I ever do to deserve this? I wonder if you ever asked yourself that question. I wonder, boys and girls, have you ever asked that question when you got the blame for something you didn't do, either at home or in school? I remember one day in primary school, uh, I always have got a bit of a chip on my shoulder about this, but one day the teacher suddenly appeared in front of my desk and yelled in my face and told me to stop talking. And I felt like saying, what did I do? I hadn't been talking at all. And there were plenty of other times it would have been perfectly right to tell me off for talking, but that wasn't one of them. I was not the source of the, the trouble on that occasion. And you're tempted to think in such times, what did I ever do to deserve this? Well, we sometimes ask this question a bit too easily, don't we? And we've maybe had a long day at work. We come home and someone has left the living room a bit disheveled. Or something we were hoping our spouse would do hasn't been done yet. Or the car fails the MOT or the kids just won't behave and we feel a bit sorry for ourselves and we might mumble that question to ourselves. There are plenty of Christians in the world, of course, who face far worse than a bad day at work or a teacher yelling at the wrong pupil. Uh, Perhaps Christians who face all kinds of horrific persecution and trouble and, and trial are tempted to ask this question at times. King David, who wrote this psalm, as I've mentioned already, was blamed for many things that he was not guilty of at all. He was condemned as a lawbreaker and a traitor, even though he had broken no such laws. Our Lord Jesus Christ found himself in the same situation, particularly in the hours before his death. And in Psalm 17, David does ask the question, in a sense, what did I ever do to deserve this? But he doesn't sit there feeling sorry for himself. Instead, he persistently and insistently prays about the false accusations and the trouble and trial that he's facing. Many of the Psalms double as prayers, as Psalm 17 is is simply titled A Prayer of David. And (coughs) that's why it's a good idea, by the way, to begin your daily devotions reading a psalm. It's a good way to sort of ease you into Uh, a fuller uh, study or meditation on God's word. It'll help you to pray. It'll help you to focus your time. And this psalm is another reminder to us that David's natural reaction, and we see this all the time in the psalms, but David's natural reaction in times of trouble is to pray. And it should be the same for us as well. We should be wanting to develop this natural reflex of prayer that David had. So here we see how to pray when we're in danger, surrounded by difficulty, maybe even tempted to ask, what did I do to deserve this? I want to see, first of all, this evening that this is a prayer insisting on innocence. A prayer insisting on innocence. Look at verse 1. Hear a just cause, O Lord. Literally in Hebrew, it just says, hear Yahweh righteousness. Hear a just cause cause he's saying is lord i'm in the right in this case these accusations brought against me they're they're baseless i deserve a fair hearing in this particular circumstance Uh, the supreme court of the united states as you probably know by now it's been in the headlines the last couple of weeks because it has ruled that the american constitution does not guarantee a right to an abortion 
And that's a reversal of a decision made by the same court uh, almost 50 years ago. The Supreme Court of the United States chose to consider a case about abortion, chose to consider a case that and really got them to where they are now. But the court does not pass judgment on every case that it could. The judges of the court pick and choose which cases to consider. David says to God, choose my case. I have a good case to consider. He says in verse 2, let your eyes behold the right. Look at this situation, Lord God. Look at my case and make your verdict. And then David gives his reasons for asking God to hear his case. At verse 3, he says, you have tried my heart. You have visited me by night. You have tested me. The words tried and tested there usually refer to a metal being refined, the purification process of precious metal. David says, you can try me, you can test me, and you won't find any blemishes in me. Look at the second line of verse 4. He says, I have avoided the ways of the violent. Verse 5, my steps have held fast to your paths. My feet have not slipped. It's emphasizing again how rigidly, how Uh, how persistently he has stuck to the way that God lays out in his law. It's interesting there, the word for your paths in verse 5, it's literally the word wagon tracks in Hebrew. Uh, And I'm sure some of you have seen fields where there are tracks kept year on year for where uh, perhaps the, the farmer wants to direct the machinery for sowing crops or whatever it might be. And, um, and so you can easily find the, the tracks where the machinery is to go the next time. Uh, they're, they're laid down. All you have to do is find the grooves and you'll go in the same direction that you've always gone. And David says, God has laid out the track for me to follow and I have followed it perfectly. I'm not guilty. And so he persistently prays and he insists that he is innocent in this case. Now it's important to understand, of course, that David is not claiming to be a perfect man. Uh, in some of his other Psalms, he's, he's quite open and honest about that. Of course, famously, Psalm 51, he confesses that he's a sinner. He's in need of God's forgiveness like everyone else. But what he is saying here is that in this particular situation, whatever the circumstances were that prompted the writing of this particular Psalm, David is innocent of what he is being accused of. Again, some people think that the events we read about earlier in 1 Samuel 23 might have prompted this psalm. uh, Because David speaks in the psalm being surrounded by his enemies, which we'll think about more in a moment. And in in 1 Samuel 23, he was very nearly surrounded by Saul. Uh, Saul's forces were chasing him around this mountainside. It looked as if David had nowhere to go. Then at the last minute, Saul was called away. And possibly that's what David is thinking of as he writes this psalm. King Saul hounding him, chasing him, cursing him to the nation, making him out to be some lawbreaker, some evildoer, some troublemaker. And David says, I'm not guilty of any of these charges. I'm the one who has stuck to the path that God has laid out for me. Twice, in fact, you might remember, if if you're familiar with the events of David's life, twice he had the opportunity to kill Saul, and he refused to do so. 
And so David can say with a clear conscience in verse 5, My steps have held fast to your paths. My feet have not slipped. Now we might never find ourselves in exactly the same sort of position that David was in. But we have thousands if not millions of Christian brothers and sisters around the world. Who are being harassed and persecuted and surrounded in the ways that David was. Often, almost always in fact for entirely unjust, unfair reasons. A few years ago the country of Laos passed a vaguely worded law that was really just an excuse to shut down uh, the free gathering of churches. Stringent new uh, registration criteria were concocted for associations like churches to meet. In 2018, a Muslim mob attacked Christians in a village in Egypt after a believer posted a link on social media to an article which compared Islam to other religions. It wasn't even saying anything critical of Islam. It was just saying, here's what uh, the Islamic religion believes, here's what Christianity believes, and maybe others as well. This 40-year-old Christian man was detained by police and accused of disdaining Islam. And of course, we're familiar with examples uh, coming into our own country of Christians being unfairly treated in the workplace, in the public sector, the pressure being brought to bear upon Christians in all kinds of ways. We've been asked to pray in recent days for our mission church in France because, again, there, are, there is legislation that has come in that is really, it, it says that it's targeted at hate groups and violent extremism, but it's sweeping up all kinds of other religious bodies, including Christian churches, and so all kinds of legal hoops have to be jumped through just so that uh, the church there can, can meet and advertise and so forth. We know the stories of Christian teachers and council workers and B&B owners and even cake makers being targeted for their faith. And so even if we perhaps at times feel like, well, we can't really identify with the sort of things that David prays about in this psalm, there are many Christians who can And so we should pray for them even if we don't feel that we ourselves need prayer in this particular area. I know some of you make use of the Barnabas Fund prayer updates or open doors. would encourage you in that. Uh, Be praying informed prayers for persecuted believers across the world. David prays persistently, friends, because he is convinced of his own righteousness, of his own integrity. If you know you're in the right You will insist and persist in prayer. If you know you're in the right, it will prompt you and urge you to pray. And that was true not only of David, but of the son of David. And if we ever do find ourselves asking, what did I do to deserve this? We need to remember that our Lord Jesus Christ knows how we feel. And in fact, of course, has faced far worse. He never asked that question as such. He did cry out on the cross, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He was the perfectly innocent one offered up. And yet no sooner had he spoken that prayer than he said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Entrusting himself to the perfect judge as David does here. And friends, it's only because Jesus stayed silent in the face of his false accusations. It's only because he willingly gave himself up to the demands of his accusers. Only because he suffered and died that you and I have any right to come and to pray 
about anything to God. And so as Christians, we don't make our appeals for ourselves or for other Christians based on our own innocence. Even if we have been unfairly treated, we make our appeals based on the perfect innocence of Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. And so it's a prayer insisting on innocence. But secondly, it's a prayer prayed in the midst of enemies. A prayer prayed in the midst of enemies. Look at verse 11. They have now surrounded our steps. They set their eyes to cast us to the ground. One commentator said that the the words in Hebrew there are military words in verse 11. David is describing here battlefield tactics. And of course in battle if you can surround your enemy you have a very good chance of defeating them altogether. David feels like he's surrounded. Again 1 Samuel 23 comes to mind. Uh, There would have been a a sense, a moment surely in the midst of that, that chase where David felt surely this is it. Surrounded by, on all sides, by Saul's forces. He says in verse 12, speaking of his enemy, he is like a lion, eager to tear, as a young lion lurking in ambush. Spurgeon says, we should not doubt the appetite of Satan for saints. We should not doubt the appetite of Satan for saints. He loves to try and catch us out. He loves to surround us with troubles and temptations. And a bit like a lion that's crouching in the tall grass. Often by the time we see the lion, it's too late. By the time the lion pounces out of that tall grass with a roar, the prey is doomed. And that's like Satan waiting for us until we're most vulnerable. But notice where David fixes his focus in such times. Surrounded by enemies on earth, he looks up to heaven. Verse 7, verse 7, wondrously, wondrously, show your steadfast love, O Saviour, O Saviour of those who seek refuge. The word there translated wondrously in the ESV, some of your translations maybe have other, other, uh, other words there, but it's wondrously in the ESV. It's used three times during uh, the passages about the plagues in Exodus. God warned Pharaoh through Moses over and over again. That if you don't let my people go, you will see wondrous things, awful things as far as the Egyptians were concerned. But signs and wonders. And it's the same word used here. And so David perhaps is praying, uh, God, if necessary, do miraculous things. Do wondrous things to preserve me, to preserve your people. He says in verse 8, keep me as the apple of your eye. The eye being one of the most important parts of the body. A, a part of the body that needs special protection. Um, a friend of mine is, I think he could well be a, a world-leading uh, specialist in, in, uh, in the eye. He's studied it all his life. He's a, he's a doctor who specializes in that. And he's always putting up uh, posts on social media, close-ups of eyes. And sometimes you're really not in the mood to see an eye up close. Uh, but the, the eye, of course, needs special protection. It, need, it has eyelids and eyelashes, even our tears. Uh, They all help protect our eyes. And so David here is perhaps asking God for for special protection. Keep me as the apple of your eye. Hide me, he goes on to say, in the shadow of your wings. This is actually a psalm full of demands. I think I counted up about 14 demands or, 
requests, if you want to put it more politely, that David makes of God in this psalm. There is a place for this in our prayers, friends. This isn't all that prayer is. We're to praise God in prayer. We're to confess sin in prayer. We're to give thanks in prayer. But there are times, perhaps, when we find ourselves in desperate need. And it's right in those times that we insist and persist in the things that we ask our God for. Here is a a very personal, demanding prayer in the face of uh, enemies surrounding him, threats surrounding him. He says, test me, keep me, hide me. My enemies are in a superior position. If I look around, I'll despair. And so instead I look up in prayer. We feel the temperature rising on Christians even in our own country. Maybe you feel surrounded today by the attacks of Satan. It's like everywhere we look. Adverts, movies, the news cycles. People are celebrating and advocating and pushing the agenda of that which is totally contrary to the word of God. And the Christian life. And where once we were told all we want is acceptance. And all we want is you know, just to be treated like everybody else. Now that's not enough. Unless we're out there celebrating these things along with everyone else. We're, we're bigots. We're intolerant. We're pushed out. Maybe you feel surrounded by temptation today. As you try to work and witness. As you try to deepen your own walk with the Lord. Nonetheless you find yourself struggling with the same sins over and over Maybe you feel discouraged by family or friends who just have no time and no respect for your own Christian faith. And you get the sense from them they would just love to see you mess up in some public way so that they can call you a hypocrite and belittle your faith. If this is how we feel, friends, we need to stop looking around and start looking up. We need to stop panicking and start praying. Again, prayer needs to become the natural reflex of the Christian as we see it to be for David in these Psalms. And that's true personally and corporately. Uh, we, we won't have our, our weekly midweek meeting for a few weeks, but there's, there's nothing to stop us meeting for prayer regardless. Just phoning someone up saying, would you meet with me? Let's pray about uh, whatever might be troubling us this week, whatever concerns we have in family life, our desire for the church, loved ones that aren't saved. Husbands, are are we leading in prayer with and for our wives and children? Elders and deacons, with all the responsibilities we have and decisions to make, are we praying about those things individually and together, seeking God's help? Aware of our need to, to reach out in this town, do we pray about that? Pray for God to, to bless that? We can complain about a nation and a community that isn't what it used to be, all we like. But unless we're also going to pray for it and about it, we may as well hold our breath. Look what David says in verse 13. Arise, O Lord, confront him, subdue him. That's the enemy. Deliver my soul from the wicked by your sword. Every every single human being will have to come to terms, will be faced with the sword of God at some point. Either God touches us with the sword of the Spirit, his word, his truth, which causes us to be regenerated by his Spirit 
and we are made new people and we cry out in repentance and faith in Christ. Or if that doesn't happen, we will face the sword of God's judgment at the end of our lives. And David was, of course, a man who literally had to wield a sword in the name of God and slaughtered many people, enemies, wicked, pagan people. We live in a different time. We hope and pray that the enemies that surround us would be cut to the heart by the sword of the Spirit as those men were in the day of Pentecost. And that as we preach the good news of Jesus, that people would be cut to the heart to the point of repentance and forgiveness of sin rather than have the sword of judgment fall upon them. But whatever the case may be, friends, David's prayer reminds us here that God will have the victory. God's sword will have the final say. And so whether it's the power of Satan tempting you or whether it's the attack of persecutors or, 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 or whether it's anything else that may be troubling you in your life today, don't just look around at the enemies surrounding you. Look up in prayer to God. Commit your case to the God who can work wonders. And so a prayer insisting on innocence, a prayer prayed in the midst of enemies. And thirdly and finally, a prayer assured of, God, of future glory. A prayer assured of future glory. Verse 14 is, is a, a difficult verse in the Hebrew, but what it seems to be saying is that the enemies of God, the men and women of this world who, who don't repent and who don't obey God's word, uh, they don't think about anything beyond the here and now. Today's stuff, today's concerns. That's probably what David means when he talks there in verse 14 about their wombs being full of treasure uh, and their portion being in this life. The, the, the word portion there, you might remember, we looked at it last week in Psalm 16. And, and David said, the Lord is my portion. And here he's saying that these people, uh, their portion is just the stuff of here and now. It will fade away in time. And sadly, that's what so many around us, friends, have been sort of brainwashed and hypnotized by the media into thinking that it's just whatever we can get our hands on now that matters. Uh, and people are, are, are anxious because uh, the things that they usually rely on at this time are not in their hands. They're not secure as we see the cost of living soaring. And as we've been reminded in recent years of our own mortality and, and people are becoming anxious because of that because their portion is in this life their hopes and their dreams are centered on the things of today and perhaps at times Christians are made to feel that we don't have the same prestige we don't have the same importance or respect or wealth that others have in light of eternity friends what's waiting for Christians uh, far outstrips the measly portion of unbelievers Look at the great confidence David has as he finishes his prayer. It's very similar to the end of Psalm 16. He says in verse 15, As for me, I shall behold your face in righteousness. When I awake, I shall be satisfied by your likeness. As for me, he's contrasting himself with the people of the world. The world's just thinking about nothing but sport or money or wealth or the next rung on the, on the job ladder. David says, for me, I'm thinking about where I'll be after all of that's faded away. 
I'll be with my God. I'll be in this, this world made new. I will see my God, my Savior, face to face. That's what he says. He says, I shall behold your face, verse 15. Again, very similar to Psalm 16, verse 11, where he talks about being in God's presence forevermore. To see someone face to face is to be in their presence, to have their their company, to have their full attention. We perhaps only appreciated how important that is for our relationships when we lost it uh, for a while during the pandemic. David says, I want to be face to face with my God. I want to enjoy fellowship with God. I want to enjoy the presence of God. One of the people who perhaps enjoyed the fellowship, the presence of God more than almost anyone else this side of heaven was Moses. That's why I read earlier from uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, uh, hearkening back to the days when Moses would go into the tent of meeting and he would, we're told he would talk with God face to face and Moses would come out with his own face shining, reflecting the glory of the God with whom he had met. And the language of David here would suggest that he wants that as well. He wants that close uh, fellowship, that intimate relationship with his great saviour. The one who saves me, the one who hears my case, the one who sends hesed, steadfast love. If God is your portion, friend, you have no need to be envious of evildoers. No need to be worrying about what the world is getting up to. Yes, we, we speak into that. Yes, we bring God's truth to bear upon that. But we don't, we don't fret. Spurgeon says, Compared with the believer's eternal fullness of delight, the joys of the worldly person are no more than a drop in the ocean. The joys of the worldly person are no more than a drop in the ocean compared to the eternal delight waiting for believers. And again, that is the root problem that many men and women in our culture have. They are trying to fill a God-sized void in their life with things that cannot fill it. Sexuality, sexual liberty doesn't do it. Wealth doesn't do it. Selfish focus, a hyper-focus on self-achievement or self-improvement or hobbies or whatever it might be doesn't do it. The only thing that can give us hope and assurance and a settled peace now and for eternity is the hope of seeing God face to face through Jesus Christ. And so if you're one of his children today, it should spur you on in your prayers to know that eternity is waiting for you. And it will be wonderful. It will be a better portion than anything you've had here in this life. It'll be so good that you will never miss this place. And you won't even remember the best, uh, the best of times. You, won't, you certainly won't remember the pains and difficulties you've experienced. Our portion in eternity, friends, will far outstrip the best portion that earth can offer. And so persistent prayer, friends, arises out of assurance of future glory. Persistent prayer arises out of assurance of future glory. Persistent prayer will come naturally to us if our eyes are fixed on the prize that still lies ahead. And if we have that perspective of this life being a drop in a bucket compared with the ocean of eternity. One of the shortest verses in the Bible is also one of the most challenging. 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 17. Pray without ceasing. 
That's the whole verse. Pray without ceasing. We'll do that when we know we're innocent. And the world unfairly accuses us of, or, or, or our Christian brothers and sisters of whatever it is that they accuse us of next. Pray when you're surrounded by your enemies and you know that you need a, a wondrous work of God to get you out. Pray because you know eternity is coming and God is your portion and you will be truly satisfied when you see Jesus face to face. If you're not a Christian here this evening, you might not feel surrounded by enemies, but you do face one great enemy, death itself. And if you're honest, nothing that you own, nothing that you've achieved, nothing that you do really gives that assurance and lasting joy that your soul is crying out for. So come to Christ. Pray for the first time to God this evening. In Jesus' name. He won't answer you because you're good enough. Because you're completely innocent. He'll answer you because of Jesus Christ. The perfectly righteous, perfectly innocent son of God. Who when he was surrounded by his enemies. Kept on entrusting himself to the God who judges justly. Who looked to heaven and said, Father forgive them. And into your hands I commit my spirit. Jesus was heard, Jesus was answered. He died, but he rose again, offering us the hope of eternal life. And so, Christian, in his name, pray persistently and insistently. (coughs) Pray like your life depends upon it. Pray because sooner than you think, you'll be on the threshold of eternity, seeing the righteous face of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.